chapter 23 is where we're going to be at tonight, 1 Samuel 23. We started talking last week about a certain segment of the chase here of Saul trying to get to David. And uh, we see the second half of this chapter as uh, David and his men are in Ziph. And Saul is so bitter at David, he's lost all common sense, and pretty much most of his sanity has departed from him. And uh, so he's going after him just, just absolutely relentlessly, throwing aside his duty, throwing aside everything he should have focused on to go after the person he's so bitter at. And like David, we're going to have our share of enemies of our soul and also enemies in our life that will seek to hurt us or to hold us back from serving the Lord. And I want to talk tonight about Saul trials specifically, okay? Uh, David had some serious Saul trials. If you read throughout the book of Psalms, you'll find a lot of different chapters where it talks about this period in David's life when he is being chased and hunted like a fugitive. And what a way for him to live. He was uh, minding his own business on his dad's farm watching the sheep and uh, he not being asked for it. And Samuel shows up, anoints him as the next king, and he didn't do anything wrong, and yet here he is being chased. I think as a Christian, sometimes one of the hardest things for us to accept are when we have difficulties and we did nothing wrong. And I know I'm not saying we're perfect, obviously. But we didn't do anything to deserve the specific difficulties that came in our life. That's a hard thing to rationalize in our life. Why, if I made the right choices and if I did the right thing and if I did not do wrong, David could say all those things. Why am I suffering then? And that's a difficult thing when we have Saul trials in our life. And that's what I want to talk about for a few minutes tonight. George MacDonald said this, No words can express how much the world owes to sorrow. Think about that. Most of the Psalms were born in the wilderness. Most of the epistles were written in prison. Uh, the greatest thoughts of the greatest thinkers have passed through the fire. The, in bonds, uh, in prison, actually, Bunyan, John Bunyan lived the story that he wrote afterwards in the Pilgrim's Progress. So take comfort, afflicted Christian, he says. When God makes great use of a person, he puts them through great fire. And sometimes that's exactly why we deal with Saul trials, because it's preparing us for something great in the future. Charles Spurgeon said, fiery trials make golden Christians. And I believe that. We see that in Job, and we see it all throughout the Bible, really, as, as many times as people have went through the furnace of affliction, and they've come out as gold. Well, that's what Saul trials will do to us. Last week, we saw the hatred at Keilah. Now we're going to look at the hatred at Ziph. And uh, we, won't, we won't go all the way through the hatred thing again, but we talked last week about the destruction of hatred and bitterness in our life. Let's start reading at verse number 15, chapter 23. And David saw that Saul was come out to seek his life, and David was in the wilderness of Ziph in a wood. And Jonathan, Saul's son, arose and went to David into the wood and strengthened his hand in God. And he said unto him, Fear not, for the hand of Saul my father shall not find thee, and thou shalt be king over Israel, and I shall be next unto thee, that, that, and that also Saul my father knoweth. That verse is so huge. I don't, I don't know if you get what's going on there. Uh, Jonathan is the next in line for the throne. Okay, he's the one that's going to be king next. 
But he knows and recognizes God has chosen David. So he says, I'm stepping aside. You're going to be king, and I'll be next to you. That's, that's some serious humility and a godly attitude. Number 18, and they two made a covenant before the Lord. And David abode in the wood, and Jonathan went to his house. Father, I pray to help us in the next few minutes here as we look at dealing with these Saul trials in our lives. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. So David fled Keilah to get away from Saul, and he and his men, the Bible says, abode in the wilderness of Ziph. And, uh, of course, Saul, the Bible says in verse 14, sought him every day. In that we see his corruption. I want you to, first of all, put yourself in David's shoes for a minute. How discouraging would this be to be a fugitive, to be hunted? I mean, I've never been a fugitive, thank God. <laughs> I don't plan to be a fugitive. That would be a terrible thing. I've read many uh, stories and, and read some true crime stuff and different things, but I've, I've read reports of people who are being chased and they just get so sick of it, they finally turn themselves in. They don't get caught. Nobody finds them. They just get tired of running. That's a terrible feeling to be chased. And by the way, we have a spiritual enemy who does that very thing, a, a lion that walketh about seeking whom he may devour. He's constantly trying to chase us down and and uh, so we understand, uh, David, it would have been terribly discouraging. And Saul's obsessive hatred was uh, borderline insanity. Saul was a corrupt man. His corruption in his character, well, we see that in his determination to kill David because there was no reason for it. Again, as Jonathan asked him, his own son was, uh, you know, it's ridiculous what you're doing here. And it was. The corruption at its core was a rejection of God because corruption at its core is always a rejection of God. That's what corruption is in our life and sin as well. When God and His way are rejected, men will always become corrupt. They all give their lives to the pursuit of sin. And that's just what's happening to Saul here. Not only was he corrupt man, he was a corrupt monarch. Being corrupt as a man made Saul corrupt as a king because corruption spreads. Uh, I just... We, I had a little bit, uh, some people are really nice bringing asparagus, uh, me in the spring, appreciate that. We had a little bit left um, before, uh, by at camp, and then I left for camp and I came back. And I looked in there, is it still there? Yeah, it was there, but there's just a little bit of, of peach fuzz growing on one end of it, you know. And uh, I came back a couple days later, it's covered. It's because corruption spreads. You ever notice that? It'll, fruit or something will sit for a long time, but when it starts... When corruption starts, it ain't long before it's completely gone. And that's what corruption does. And so corruption as a man leaked into his professional life as well. And so he was a, a corrupt monarch. Have you ever heard the term power corrupts? I read this statement, and I think this is interesting, interesting here. Power does not corrupt. Fear corrupts. The fear of loss of power. It's not power itself. There's been a lot of powerful people who've been good people. Power does not necessarily corrupt in and of itself, but the fear of the loss of power, and that's where Saul was. He knew he was losing his dynasty. And so he is he's becoming more and more obsessive and sinful and anti-God and wicked. The things he's done already, and he's willing to do more. Corruption. And he had a, uh, this is also another statement, power corrupts the few while weakness corrupts the many. Saul had a double dose of this. He had power. He was king. That corrupted him. And he was weak of character. That corrupted him. So he kind of had a double dose of it. 
So there was the corruption. Secondly, the care and protection. Look at verse 14. The last line. I love this. But God delivered him not into his hand. Saul sought him every day. And then those two great words. But God. But God delivered him into his hand. Uh, in Hebrew writing, it, this, this is called a summary statement. It's often made at the beginning of an account. And then details are filled in after, and so it is here. God's care and protection have been seen all throughout this cat and mouse game that Saul's playing with him. And the lesson in this summary statement here is that even though trials will come, even though you're going to face Saul trials in your life, there is always a but God there. And I love that. How, if you I read a, I read a uh, collection one time of all the but gods in the Bible. And there's a tremendous study uh, to go through. What great words those are. Saul may rant and rave and pursue David every day, but God. God intervened. And the Saul trials in your life, the troubles that afflict you every day, that you have a hard time overcoming in your spirit, in your mind, and you have a uh, the devil beats you over the head with mistakes of the past. There's always a but God, and he's in your life as well. Psalm 34, 19, many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord, kind of like a but God, but the Lord delivereth him from them all. What a blessing. Number three, the comforting. You ever been in a difficult time in your life? I mean, a real, what we could call a Saul trial. I mean, it's just like the world is coming down on you, crushing you. That's where David was, a wilderness of Ziph. He can't get away. Wherever he goes, someone reports where he is, and Saul's then after him again. He's having such a hard time in his life. How sweet it is when in your low times of life, a friend steps in to comfort you. Oh, this is so amazing. I don't know if you've ever experienced that, but what a blessing it is. It is at this time, no doubt, one of the lowest times in David's life up to this point. He is in desperate need of a friend. A research project on relationships, in uh, it, it, it's called the Almeida County Study. It was headed by a Harvard researcher, social scientist, and he tracked the lives of 7,000 people for nine years. And his research found that isolated people are three times more likely to die than people with strong connections. This is interesting. I, study of human nature anyway. I, I mean, uh, what makes people tick. I love this kind of stuff. So people, this is amazing. He found that people with bad health habits, habits like smoking, poor eating habits, obesity, alcohol use, you, alcohol use all, even if they had those things in their life, but they had strong social ties... They lived significantly longer than people who had great health habits, but were isolated. Isn't that something? People need people. People need friends. And you, by the way, you know what that means with the health thing? It is better to eat Twinkies with friends than broccoli alone. Amen? <laughs> Amen. I'm taking that. That's, that's good stuff. Harvard researcher Robert Putnam went so far as to say, if you belong to no groups... But this is a research study that came from this here. If you belong to no groups, you're isolated. But you decide to join one, you cut your risk of dying over the next year in half. 
That's a good reason to join a church, isn't it? Huh? I think that's our new slogan. Save your life. Join the church. Amen. I think that's great. What a value it is to have a friend. And David had such a friend. He got a comforting visit from Jonathan. Verse 16, And Jonathan went to David, and, and he strengthened his hand, it says. Love those words. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 7, 6, God comforteth those who are cast down. The psalmist 46, 1, God is our refuge and our strength, a very present help in trouble. God is always there. And we need to not make light of that at all. He's always there. But there are times we need a friend. Amen? There's times we need to uh, have the sharpening and the, the, I guess, the human touch of another friend. Most of us have different levels of friends. There are those we casually know and like. Then there are those we occasionally get together with. Then there are those that we can be open and honest with. Those are The, the groups are getting smaller, okay? Those that we can be honest with. Then there's those that we would share a foxhole with. There's those that we would go to battle with. There's those who will share our deepest sorrows, our struggles. A true friend, <laughs> true friend is one who knows enough to destroy you but won't. Amen? That's a true friend. Be that friend to someone today. Jonathan was that type of friend. He put all of his own previous aspirations and desires, put them all aside. And he was just there for David. What a blessing that is. A friend is one of the nicest things you can have and one of the best things you can be. And I encourage you today, be that type of friend. Be that to somebody. We live in an increasingly isolated and lonely world, even in a time where everybody is connected. But now nobody's really connected because they have 500 Facebook friends and they don't know the name of their next door neighbor. And uh, they don't know people that they see every day. There's no connections. And so be that connection. Praise the Lord for Christians that do that because we can reach people that way. It would do us well. According to research, we make just 29 real friends in our lifetime. 29. And only six of those go the distance. I'm asking you tonight to be one of those six for someone else. Be there for them. What a blessing that is. Look at verse 16. Jonathan, Saul's son, arose and went to David into the wood. That is the forest of Ziph where David was at. God sent Jonathan to comfort David amidst his trials from Saul. And it's first the first surprise we have here is the surprise of who? Jonathan was Saul's son. This, stop and think about this. Jonathan, the son of the man who's trying to kill David, comes out to comfort David and to strengthen his hand. Man, this must have burned Saul up. We know Saul wanted to kill Jonathan already, and they, his men stopped him. But what I, this tells me is God raises support and comfort for his people sometimes from the strangest places, the most unexpected places, and he brings someone to give you that kind of comfort, uh, to bring David out of the, his arch enemy's family to show David comfort shows the power of God. It also kind of shows God's power to mock those who fight against him. Do you remember when Pharaoh was fighting against the Israelites, imprisoning them, enslaving them, killing their young ones? What does God do? 
He gets Pharaoh's daughter to raise the deliverer. God, don't tell me God's not laughing. That's hilarious. That's hilarious. I mean, he's, you know, you want to fight against my people? Tell you what, we're going to raise the deliverer of the people, and you're going to raise him. You're going to pay for his schooling. You're going to train him. You're going to give him his military skills. You're going to give him everything that he needs to lead his people away from you. God can do that. And let this fact encourage you, because in the midst of your Saul's troubles and Saul's trials that you have, you might not see help anywhere, but God can send help, and He will. What a blessing that is. He can take it right out of the enemy's house, too, and bring it to you. Another who is important is that Jonathan is of the same spiritual temperament here. Don't go to the bar for your encouragement. Right, get, because it's important, I didn't read the, all of it in a, mi a minute ago, but he said he strengthened his hand, look what he says, in God. Okay, that's important. He didn't just, uh, I mean, he wasn't just a physical help, he was a spiritual help to him as well. So it took courage, by the way, for Jonathan to do this. He risked his life. What would Saul do in his rage if he found out what Jonathan did? Uh, which I don't know if he did or not, but he risked his life either way. Jonathan's courage, again, manifests real love and real friendship. Jonathan had made a covenant of friendship with David earlier. The Bible says here they reaffirm this covenant in this meeting, and this covenant emphasizes loyalty and commitment to this friendship. They'll be there for each other, and they were for the rest of their lives. And this, friends, this is so rare. It's so rare. That's why I'm saying tonight, be that person, because so few of us actually get that person. But let's be that person to someone else. Coming to David in the midst of this danger proved his commitment was not just words, but it was actions. He put actions behind them. We all have, we all have fair weather friends, don't we? Every one of us. Uh, in fact, I read a statement not long ago, the two best things to lose in life is some weight and fair weather friends. Uh, I don't know, but, but real friends, real friends are those who stick by us through thick and thin. I have always called them 3 a.m. friends. Who do you call at 3 a.m. if you have a crisis? Who do you call? That's a real friend. Somebody who's not going to go, do you know what time it is? And slam the phone down. Uh, that, that's somebody, by the way, we need to, again, we need to be that person. And if you don't have a friend like that, may I just suggest to call Wes, because he's retired. He has nothing going on in his life. So just call him at 3 a.m. Keep your phone on. Can I remind you that as Jonathan was steadfast to David, God's anointed who was rejected by the world, we need to be steadfast to God's anointed who is rejected by the world. We need to be uh, as steadfast to Jesus Christ. It's one thing to sit in here and, hey, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ and proclaim that. It's another thing entirely to say you're for Christ where you're in a hostile crowd and he's not popular. You want to take a stand. The real test of loyalty will be seen in how you act in a hostile situation. When it comes to, like Jonathan did, he went into the middle of, uh, he, he put himself at great risk to go see David. And yet he did it because he was a friend to David.
He went to David into the wood, verse 16. The timing of Jonathan's visit here is so important. He came to David when David was hiding there in Ziph. David needed soothing for his present situation. He needed strengthening for what was to come. It was of value for his current problems and also for his coming problems. And God still provides us this timely encouragement during our Saul trials. And most people miss it. They do. Most people suffer through trials and their troubles, and they miss it. And the reason why is because the mode with which God gives it. How does God give us this type of encouragement in our lives today and lifting us up? Well, uh, it comes through the Word of God, it comes through prayer, and it comes through the local church, fellowshipping, preaching. And the church service that you may skip uh, might be the very one where the Word of God addressed your specific need. And when you don't go, and when you don't avail yourself of the things that God has provided, then you're not going to get that kind of comfort. You're not going to get that kind of support that you want. I don't know what I would do without my church family. I can't imagine. I, I've often asked people that, you know, they have a tr trouble or a problem, and what, what, what's your church do? Or what's your church? And they don't have a church. I mean, I, I don't know what I'd do without... Uh, you folks. So be that friend. Be a real friend. Flatter me, and I may not believe you. Criticize me, and I may not like you. Ignore me, and I may not forgive you. Encourage me, and I will not forget you. Be that friend. Be that friend. There was spiritual comforting here. He strengthened his hand in God, and this is what made Jonathan's visit to him so helpful. The best thing that you can give is to, to somebody else is that which is rooted in God and in His Word to remind our Christian friends who are discouraged and in the day of their trouble, remind them of their relationship with God, remind them of the promises of God in their life, to remind them of His assurances, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. Leave Romans 8.28 at the door when you're trying to encourage somebody. That's not encouraging. All things work together for good. That, that's just, that, I mean, that's true. That's true. But there's times we don't pull that verse out, okay? Uh, people want comfort right now. They don't need comfort. I don't need to know it'll work out 10 years down the road. I want something now. How about I will never leave you? I'll never forsake thee. I'll be with you. Go through the fire with you. This is the best of all ways to encourage the discouraged. Jonathan could have given David food and money and supplies, military equipment. And maybe he did do some of that. I don't know. But it would not have been the help that strengthened his hand in God was. He needed that. Uh, he says in verse 17, Thou shalt be king over Israel. He says, I'll be next to you. The also my father knoweth. And uh, just an amazing thing, somebody that's willing to step aside, put his own things aside for David. Really, it was for God. So Jonathan was honoring God and his plan. And then finally, we see the cohorts. Verse 19, Then came up the Ziphites to Saul and Gibeah, saying, Doth not David hide himself with us in strongholds in the wood in the hill of Hichala? Okay, David had a friend, but we also see here he had some enemies. These Ziphites were wicked people. They're willing to slay innocent blood in David to try to get some kind of, uh, just to get a little bit of, uh, gain a little favor from this wicked leader. Boy, I hope I never try to gain the favor of one at the cost of another. That's a terrible way to live. It's a terrible way. And never should a Christian do that. 
some of the most painful experiences in our life are when those that are close to us turn on us, when, they, uh, when someone you trust betrays that trust. And so this is, a, of course, these experiences teach us to rely on God more than man, but it's a terrible thing to go through. So here Saul, of course, is excited. Verse 1, Blessed be the Lord, for you have compassion on me. Uh, Saul, Saul was big on pity, wasn't he? He liked pity. Pity me. He said earlier in the chapter, no one cares for me. All of you, have, you're all for David and no one's for me. Uh, he was not big on pitying others. Psychopaths like him rarely are. He was big on getting pity, but not giving pity to any others. Uh, just think about it. He would have killed Jonathan if his men wouldn't have stopped him. He had 85 priests mercilessly killed. He, and here he's chasing David. He didn't have an iota of compassion in him. This is generally the case with people that are filled with self-pity. They pity themselves, they don't pity anybody else. John Gardner said self-pity is easily the most destructive of the non-pharmaceutical narcotics. It is addictive. It gives momentary pleasure and it separates the victim from reality. Boy, we see that in Saul's life, don't we? Long story short, we've got to close, but Saul and his men did catch up to David and surround him. But just in the nick of time, the Philistines attacked somewhere else and Saul had to divert his army to take care of that situation and God came through for David. Now we could talk about this for a while and we won't, but Saul got really close. <laughs> I mean... David escaped here, as the philosopher said, by the hair of his chinny-chin-chin, chin, you know. Just just barely escaped. He got close. And I wonder if he got nervous. A lot of times, our deliverance doesn't look like it's possible. But there's always a but God. And He's there, and He cares. And He's got our backs. Amen. He lets us go through some things, but He doesn't let us go through more than we can handle. That's an awesome fact, an awesome, awesome promise. So, God again saved David. I ask you tonight, do you believe we can trust him? Amen. We can trust him. We can trust him. He knows your Saul trials. And he'll, he will not always prevent them, but he'll always be with you through them. It's a great promise. Thank you, Father, for loving us. Thank you for the